Hey, before we get started today, I wanted to let you know about an upcoming event. We are hosting an informational meeting on the new Dunedin Project. This is a project for a deliberate Christian settlement and a church plant in the upper Midwest. The date for the meeting is July 10th. There will be an actual in-person meeting, but also Zoom will be available. I'd love to have any of my listeners that are interested there. So please, if you are interested, go to the New Dunedin page on our website and send us an email. Welcome to The Confessionalist. We are continuing the discussion of land curses. I'm Raymond Simmons, and this is Episode 4. Well, thanks for loading up the podcast and hitting play. Today, I want to talk about the geographic nature of land curses. I think we need to rejoin our theology and our geography. Those two got separated somewhere down the line, uh, not sure where. But the theology of blessings and curses are meshed with where we live and the society we are in. So regaining a sense of geography, I think, will become more and more important as we progress and in talking about building civilization and also some upcoming talks on strategic relocation. Now, in some ways, we are returning to geographical awareness. There's a return to localism. There's uh, sanctuary counties for the Second Amendment, for example. There was actually a meeting yesterday here locally about constitutional counties. And so, you know, there's a return to this idea, and localism is good, but I think we need to be diligent not to miss the theological covenantal aspect of geography. It's not just about local sovereignty, and it's not just about political capability. We actually need to be more concerned about what conditions we are in before God than before the federal government. So last week we talked about what what are land curses? And we said any of the sins that uh, a society commits and does not punish the offenders and does not repent as all of society, well, that causes a land curse. And we laid some of those out. Murder and uh, the lack of cleansing the land from bloodshed, which of course uh, includes uh, abortion. Idolatry, which means public worship of, of, of false gods, uh, that that's idolatry and causes a curse. Sexual sins, idolatry, sodomy, bestiality, you know, all of these things are condemned side by side. Breaking of the Sabbath, which we as a nation, we don't even recognize the Sabbath uh, essentially t- today. And so I think it's, it, it's important to get that that information, the metadata of land curses. But we need to continue on and think about this more. We need to have a more uh, thorough and robust analysis. I think really, if uh, unless we do that, we're going we're gonna to do what we've kind of done in the past and generate our plans and our cultural approaches without uh, an analysis of the of the key issues of the problem. And yes, the problem ultimately is an unregenerate heart. I mean, that's at the base of all this, because without God's grace, we can't do anything that's uh, pleasing and righteous to Him. So evangelism is key. It absolutely is. 
And that evangelism needs to carry with it God's ethical code. I mean, that's what Jesus said was part of the Great Commission, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. Now, because the uh, evangelism and the Great Commission brings that ethical code, then we are into the the construct of blessings and curses, and we cannot get away from land curses. We also asked a question last time. Does the construct of land curses apply today? And we saw that, without a doubt, they do apply. Nations outside of Israel were expected to follow the law, and they were held guilty when they did not. They defiled the land. Jesus upheld curses on societies in the New Covenant. Paul's message in Acts 17 is that God is no longer overlooking nations' law-breaking. He will hold them in derision that are unrepentant and uncovenanted. So, I, you know, I think uh, we need a detailed analysis. A doctor will spend a lot of time on diagnosis. He'll look at vitals, uh, physical exam, blood test, imaging, and, um, of course, those five-page questionnaires that nobody likes filling out. Sometimes I think we spend more time figuring out what's ailing our bodies than what's causing our cultural unrighteousness and and decadence. So I think a a detailed analysis through biblical lens will help us move beyond the generalities. It's the particulars that lead to the proper diagnosis, and that's necessary for a, a plan of attack. We talked about the forgotten necessity of social covenants, societal covenants. When a a society got off track in the Bible, the way to get back on track was an all-of-society covenant. Now, this is important. These societal covenants were not something that they arrived at at the end of a track. They were the track that enabled travel, that enabled uh, progress societal progress. And this covenantal understanding is so important, and uh, we need to regain it. John Winthrop wrote this in, in 1630. Thus stands the cause between God and us. We are entered into a covenant with him for this work. We have taken out a commission. And he talks about how God will enable them to keep the, the laws, the, the biblical laws. He also says, if they do not, then, quote, our posterity, the Lord will surely break out in wrath against us and be revenged of such a perjured people and make us know the price of the breach of such a covenant. So their thinking was, yes, there is punishment for covenant breaking, but there is a capability to keep the law uh, uh, as a society with covenant keeping. And uh, thankfully, I think that mindset is coming back. Uh Now, in these biblical and historical covenants, there was something else, geography. And geography is not much as much uh, a part of our awareness today. Uh, And why is that? Why don't we think about things geographically as much today? Well, I think the ease of travel and our capability to communicate long distances has had an effect. Those Those are good things, but sometimes good things have negative effects. It's just as easy today to send a text to somebody in Guatemala than it is your wife in the other room or maybe even in the same room. And travel, you know, the airlines are, they're a pain to travel on and they're expensive, but still they have connected the world. You can get anywhere. The fact that you can just get in the capsule of your own car and drive across town and not listen to or talk to or see or even come physically close to anybody 
It's these kind of things that I think have decreased our awareness of geography. Another reason I think we've lost the geographical awareness is that we're not as connected to the local land for our sustenance, for our food. I forget the numbers, but of course, uh, in the, the past, people lived rural and they got their food locally. Today, not so much. Do you think about geography when you buy bell peppers at the grocery store? You know, where did this come from? You may think about it, but do you actually know where they came from? So just our daily lives have decreased our awareness of geography. There's a, a debate on the relativeness of geography and military strategy doctrine. There's a debate between those who want to keep strategy primarily geographic, which is the historical and traditional way of thinking about it. And there are others who want to focus on this fourth squishy kind of, you know, non-geographic dimension of cyber. I think the traditional view is better. I mean, you know, it's the Battle of Bunker Hill. It's the Rubicon. It's Pearl Harbor. But the new generation says that all of that has changed with cyber. And I'm not in that camp. And I'm not in that camp for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, theologically. Cyber is not some new thing that we created on a macro scale. It's simply an evolution of uh, the concept of communication. It's a micro-evolution within that, that vein that God created. Uh, secondly, just practically, even a cyber attack will have no effect if it's not geographical. And I, I could prove that if we had more time. Anyway, the point is that there is a movement away from geography that is very influential on our thinking and on our, our children's thinking. And until we can regain a geographical awareness and join it to our, our theology, we're not going to have an accurate diagnosis of the condition that, that God has us in, and we're not going to have the right fuel in our, in our gas tank to move forward. Now, I understand there is still a mystical element. We are one with Christ, irregardless of geography. But even here, we are connected to the church locally. Uh, the church is manifested locally. God will always require local worship. And if you want to take communion, which you have to take communion because Jesus says to do that, you must take it physically and therefore geophysically. Now, I want us to key in on the local geographical element of land curses for a bit. We talked last time about how Jesus told his disciples to curse a city that did not receive the gospel and walk away from it. That's in Matthew chapter 10. And we see there that this cursed land is geographical. It's a place that you can walk away from. And land curses come to societies and their areas. It's also important to realize that the countryside surrounding cities is not a separate entity. Uh, it's still connected to the civil structure locally and covenantally of its uh, parent town or parent city. So it's not free from covenantal obligations. Deuteronomy 28.16 says, Cursed shalt thou be in the city, and cursed shalt thou be in the field. And the idea here is that there is a connection between those two. So I think it's important to be deliberate about um, where we live or what we are doing with respect to our uh, local societies, even if we live in the country. And I think it's a, it's important, it's best to find a, a situation where we can proactively build 
versus just avoid judgment, although avoiding judgment is biblical and, and a faithful thing. Deuteronomy 21 is a, is a good example, I think, both of geography and theology and of them being meshed together. And it shows a link also of the countryside and its closest city. So here's the story. A, a dead body is discovered out in the country, and no one knows who killed the man. The first thing the elders and the judges of the surrounding cities need to do is get out their measuring instruments and determine which city is the closest to the body. That's important because the closest town is responsible for the blood and for the handling of this this matter. So the elders of that city have to sacrifice a heifer in place of the murderer, and if the murderer is found, he will, will still have to die. But the point is that the local land is defiled, and the Lord provides a way that it can be cleansed. So the town closest to the murderer has to sacrifice a heifer, but then they also have to confess as a society. Deuteronomy 21, 6-8 says this, And all the elders of that city that are next unto the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer that is beheaded in the valley, and they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, neither have our eyes seen it. Be merciful, O Lord, unto thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed, and lay not innocent blood unto thy people of Israel's charge, and the blood shall be forgiven them. Now, once again, we have representative heads of all of society, the local elders, the civil leaders, and the local sons of Levi, the local church, they have to confess. And so another example of societal confession geographically. So when we hear today about a dead body, you know, on the news or something, our primary concern is finding the murderer. And that's important, but it does not seem to be the main concern of the Bible. The primary concern is how to cleanse the land, and there's a connection of geography and theology. I think we're going to have to undo some of our thinking. In the the past, the church has had to undo some of its unbiblical thinking of the separation of the physical and the spiritual, of the separation of Jesus from his body. There's a docetism and uh, Arianism. And while what we're talking about today is not as critical, I think we need to undo our separation of geography and theology. And I think we need to be aware that the current environment is probably influencing us and our children away from geography. We haven't even talked about the globalism mindset, but that's the type of thing I'm, I'm talking about, and it's simply not biblical. The Bible is all about geography, and its links to theology. The Bible starts with um, you know, uh, geography, and then it progresses into geographical nations, and then you know, it even ends with a geographical new heavens and a new earth. So the geographical link with the land is very important, and we need to bring this back into our awareness. Some nights when you go outside uh, and there is an eerie color, you know what I'm talking about. Typically, this is just after or before a storm. Maybe it would be helpful to visualize whether a local land is blessed or cursed in that way, a, a local color change. And, you know, maybe this will help because you can't see land curses. They are invisible except for their effects. Ultimately, we need a biblical analysis, a, a biblical lens. Like Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, there is a more sure word in the Bible than anything we see. So ultimately, 
let's uh, regain the sense of blessings and curses geographically. And I think that's going to lead to a better pathway and enable a quicker return to societal righteousness. So land curses are geographical. Even demons are geographical. They are not omnipresent, and they can be forced out of areas. The demons of uh, Gergesenes, they were uh, asked for a place to go, and Jesus put them in, in the pigs and sent them over the cliff. That's in Matthew 8. Legion uh, asked, asked Jesus not to send him out of the country. That's Mark chapter 5. So you can take literal ground for Jesus and cast out demons geographically. So we should consider our local geography, consider, you know, the covenantal obligations and connections. Remember, there's a connection of the countryside to its assigned civil magistrate. So that's a consideration if you're planning to to move to the, to the country or, or where you where you live. Now, here's how to use this truth, how to put feet to it. Since land curses are geographical, they're not just national. Some areas within nations are worse than others. And because of that, by extension, guess what? Some are better than others. The Bible presents uh, geographical nations and it presents geographical towns, and God can deal with those distinctly. So there's a way for local societies to move from blessings to curses, even if they're under a national curse. So that's the detailed analysis I think that we need, and I think we need to re- reunite our theology and our geography. Well, until next time, remember Psalm 6311, But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. <laughs>